Chef Boyardee is Poe's mentor. <laughs> <laughs> At that point, it was always going to be Leia. Could have been Baby Yoda. <laughs> wow, what a huge oversight. There's just a hole in the Death Star. Like, what the heck? You know, just like board that up or something, you know? Then jumped onto Wikipedia and was like, oh, there it is. I refused to get on the Wook, um, as, as Jared lovingly refers to it. You're listening to the Star Wars Archives, a Utini.com Patreon-exclusive podcast. Your regular deep dive down the rabbit hole of the Star Wars universe. Discussion, analysis, Easter eggs, and obscure books you've never heard of. And now, here are your hosts, Jose and Trevor. Hello there, you have tuned into episode 57 of the Star Wars Archive, the Utini Network podcast where we take a random Star Wars topic and explain the living Bantha Pudu out of it. So I'm Trev, keeper of the timeline pages over at utini.com, and with me today, as ever, a man so stylish he'd even look good in an orange and white jumpsuit. I, I wish I had an orange and white <laughs> jumpsuit, I mean, it's, it's before Christmas here, so if you want to send me one, Trev... I mean, it would be, means... well, we've got, we've got postage strikes it wouldn't get to until like 2025 okay okay countries go to hell there's no point um but it's got to be like the cheapest cosplay ever right i don't i mean if if it has if you're gonna do it you have to do it right so i I want all the belt buckles all the pockets like everything that comes with it so anyways i am jose (laughs) aka joxie uh in the utini verse um and i think my main role here in utini would be to interrupt and disrupt whatever trev is trying to do in our podcast at this point so yeah. um yeah i'll give it a try <laughs> um, i used to take this stuff seriously yes but um it's not only the two of us today we do have one special guest with us we have uh, chris Campshell back in because today we're going to talk about um andor and you know he was here when was it i mean like two months ago i don't know some time ago because um, yeah, talk about his... it was pretty recent yeah, I mean, we were talking about his book, The History and Politics of Star Wars, right, Chris? So, um, and that was a lot of fun. And somehow, for some yeah. reason, you accepted um, and said that you wanted to come back. <laughs> so, anyways, Chris, so I mean, how are you doing? It was a lot of fun last time. I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. It was a lot of fun last time. I'm just thinking about you saying, you know, you, know, you want one of those orange and, and white jumpsuits. From, you know, <laughs> having watched Andor, I don't think you need to do a lot to get the Empire to give you one. <laughs> um, yeah, I think... True. Parking you fine. Know, jaywalking's gonna do it. Um... <laughs> I mean, I don't. I I honestly don't know why we've got you on the show, though, Chris, because all Andor has done is prove once again that Star Wars is not political in any way, shape, or form. Oh no, I didn't see absolutely. In Andor. I thought it was a rousing, fantastical pew pew space lasers show <laughs> with no commentary whatsoever on exactly any that. other yeah. world. <laughs> <laughs> So it's been, I've had a lovely time here. It's been a great podcast. Well done, everyone. We'll put number 57. Yep, see you again. Yeah. And, All right. Know. Yeah, that would yeah. be a good way to wrap it up. But anyways, no, um, we do want to get right into it. So, but before we do, um, of course, we just want to thank all of you uh, Patreon supporters for, uh, you know, and people that buy our merch for supporting us because that is how we are able to make this show. Um, so, you know, if you go to utini.com slash merch or patreon.com slash utini, um and yeah just give us help us out and uh so that we can continue doing shows like this so that's yeah just made a really quick version of that so that we can just get right (laughs) into andor so yeah i mean let's just start with something really basic right so 
Chris, what uh, what were you, you know, yeah, overall thoughts? What, like, what, how were you feeling about Andor, bef- you know, right before getting into it? And did the show meet or exceed your expectations for, of, from, you know, of what you wanted for the show to be? So I think in the lead up to watching Andor, there was a big part of me that was like, I reckon this is going to okay. be good. And I reckon there's going to be some really interesting history, politics stuff in there. So it's a, uh, you know, it's a shame that it wasn't out in time for the book, but you know, I'm going to enjoy this. And having now watched it, I am livid <laughs> that it wasn't out in time for the book. <laughs> Um, because oh, I mean my publisher's probably not because that would have been a lot of extra work <laughs> yeah. um, we were running at something of a premium yeah. but good lord it was really good um, online supplemental God, I mean people keep saying do a second edition it's like I'm really tired and <laughs> they're, they're releasing Star Wars stuff quicker than I can react to it what do you want from me um, yeah <laughs> But it was great. It was so, so good and surprising. That's what I... I'm not surprised that there was, you know, history and politics stuff in it. Because, again, you know, as we previously discussed, history and politics is in every aspect of Star Wars. We definitely knew that Andor was going to be, you know, very focused on this kind of spy, political, thriller aspect. Yeah. But the stuff they did in it was genuinely, pleasingly surprising. Would I would have had a hard yeah. time predicting some of the stuff that they decided to focus on. Um, and they focused on at length. It's a suit. I really liked it. It's a slow burn show. Um, yes. yes. Yeah. And I just thoroughly enjoyed every episode. It was, it was great. Um, you know, waking up and being like, cause it, it was, did it come out on Wednesdays or Thursdays? I've already lost track. Wednesdays. Wednesdays. Yeah. Wednesdays. I've been like, okay, it's lunchtime on Wednesday. I'm now going to sit down with my lunch and watch, and watch Andor. <laughs> um, and there seemed to be less people tweeting about it early in the day. Um, people were staying up late for like Kenobi and the like, and mm-hmm. they were like, there was a danger, you know, you wake up in England at 8am, you go on Twitter and it's already ruined for yourself. But it was, yeah. Yeah. I didn't need to worry about it because it was such a slow burn and people weren't immediately like staying up till midnight to watch it. So I could just, oh, this is a, an amazing thing that hasn't been spoiled for yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. I think you had to like, just let it simmer a little bit after watching every episode and just like, you know, digest it and just really to really grasp and understand what was like, what just happened even. Because, uh, I mean, even though it's slower, yeah. slower, it also took time for you to kind of really comprehend all the nuances that they were showing, like, per episode. So, well, what about and, you, um, Trev? Like, well, talking about um, expectations, you know, yeah. we've come out of a 12-month period that's seen Kenobi and Book of Boba Fett. And it was hard not to go into Andor and be a little bit nervous. Because <laughs> Kenobi was good but there was parts of it that weren't great book of boba fett was a tv show that happened (laughs) so i was a little nervous going into andal but by the first episode you're like we haven't seen this before this is something completely new and it's rock solid yeah it's 10 out of 10 yeah it's it's not like any star wars we've ever seen but I love it, and I want to live there forever. <laughs> yes. I mean, to the extent, if, if, if you were to take, you know, the TIE Fighters and the Stormtroopers out, you take the Star Wars out of it, it still stands out perfectly well yeah. as a as a politics, spy, oppression, thriller TV show. Yeah. The Star well, Wars was was sprinkled on as, 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 as flavour rather than 
you know, the, the meat So this is the, the point dish. you were making before we started, Jose, wasn't it? Yeah, I know. That's exactly what I was going to bring up. That I, my, my girlfriend, actually, as we were watching it, she was saying, this really just feels like they wrote or came, had an idea for a really good, like, Cold War thriller. And then they were like, yeah. maybe it can be Star Wars. And so they just added a few, like, you know, blasters here and there. And stormtroopers in the background. It's like, okay, yeah, that was Star Wars. But the, the, the whole genesis of the story itself was just an, a real life, like, Cold War era thriller set in our, like, Earth. Yeah. So as we were watching it, Chris, let's, let's, uh, let's use your expertise straight off the bat. So what were some of the for real world parallels then but kind of struck you as you were watching it because you know i've read your book i know exactly how you dive into these things your brain must have been worried yeah Yeah, i mean there was there was loads and loads and loads of stuff that at times it was it was slightly difficult and this is this is a kind of like an ongoing thing where there's an undercurrent that i might have ruined star wars for myself um by, (laughs) by doing all of this kind of analysis of it where it makes it very difficult to just enjoy something at face value and i found that yeah. slightly tricky at times in andor because it was just like oh my god all the things but also it's just like well I, just shut up and what's just what's the tv show um <laughs> just stop thinking um i liked the i like the factional aspects of of the rebel alliance or this kind of nascent rebel alliance um i adored Saw Guerrero's, you know, People's Front of Jeddah, mm-hmm. um, effective thing of, you know, the, you know, there are separatists and there's a, there's the Jeddah's People's Front and all of these other people and they're all interacting. They're, they're all idiots. I'm the only <laughs> yeah. one who actually knows what's yeah. happening. I'm the only one who has ideological purity. So I, I watched that like, earlier, oh. that scene uh, earlier today, and it's the fact that we don't see any of those groups. In fact, I no. I don't couldn't even make sense of their names. I was like, what what do they stand for? But uh, those words yeah. make no sense together. Who are they? But it, my mind that kind of brought on kind of real world stuff and like, and then when you think about also some stuff from like the old expanded universe, because when you think, oh, you know, it's the Rebel Alliance, the people focus an awful lot on the Rebel aspect and not an awful lot on the Alliance mm-hmm. yeah. aspect, which is. It's made up of all of these um, random groups yeah. who have nothing in yeah. common with each other except they hate the Empire. Um, and they're going to go off and they're going to do their own thing and it's hopefully going to be counterproductive and there's going to be no coordination between them. You know, They all know that each other exists, but, oh God, you know, those people over there, they want to replace the Empire and you know party on a Sunday. Whereas we know that when you replace the Empire, you party on a Tuesday. <laughs> so we can't possibly have any form of common ground with them. And you start seeing like Luthan and what will presumably be Mon Mothma as the the the, the centre yeah. of this, of having to drag all of these p- group, disparate groups together into some form of unified front of, we all hate the Empire. Who cares about Sunday or Tuesday um, if we all get killed on yeah. Thursday? Um, we're going to have to find some way of, of making this of making this work and I, I, I just thought that was fantastic all of these random yes said separatist disparate tiny little cell groups who we've never heard of I know nothing about them um, and now I want shows about one thing that struck me during my rewatch over last week is that so much is made about this show showing us the birth of the rebellion but we don't actually see that it's all Luthan yeah. talks about the network already being built. Um, a few people say you took a vow. So all of these, all of these sort of story 
building blocks already in there that we haven't seen. So yeah, but so yeah. the the alliance is is in place, and you can see that Luthen is seemingly the only person who is actually in contact with any of these groups. But how long has yeah. Mon Mothma been providing them money? How long yeah. have her and Luthen had a relationship where they've drawn out what their aim is? So on a second rewatch, it really did feel like I was being in thrown into a story that already exists. Yes. Which that I mean, You've joined I mean, it like the, think... just before the midway point. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's... And, and that in, in and of itself is a very Star Warsian way of storytelling, isn't it? Just yeah. Like, I mean, just by the way that the whole series started, you're thrown into a universe in the middle of a war, right? So it's like yeah. they're not they they're, they're not, they don't shy away from like you know slowly getting to you know show you showing you what what the stakes are or anything you're right in the middle of it right in the middle of the action the difference here is that it is not the pew pew like lasers and fights is that the middle of the action is is political action and like mental games and everything right so it's a very different kind of war that is being played right now and also we see that the yeah, rebellion exactly. isn't whiter than white and that's a part that i really liked <laughs> I, I i you know we've spoken i think we spoke about it last time that you know the first time we meet andrew he just shoots a guy because yeah. it, you know if there's two of him and another guy in a in a, in a alleyway the other guy's not gonna make it out alive if the empire catches him the only way that any of the two of them survives is if andor shoots him um and yeah. i like that element of and it carries on right through to the end that you don't, you don't overthrow a regime like the Empire with your gloves on. Um, you can't do it and keep your hands clean. Um, yeah. And you end up with a, with like a massive contrast between, you know, the the, the final episode with the uh, with Marva's speech, which I thought was fa- was just wonderful, and a lot, yeah, know, everybody's been losing their minds about it. But I've been contrasting it with Yoda talking to Anakin Skywalker in the phantom menace because he says you know um fear leads to anger anger leads to hate hate leads to suffering whereas marvel is furious you can't fight the empire if you're not angry at it Mm -hmm, if you don't recognize it you know and you you know afraid of what it's doing angry at it and then come to hate it i mean you know you're not going to brain a fascist with a brick um if you're worried about losing your temper um I, I, (laughs) i found that as a really interesting kind of contradiction the idea that you know you're supposed to fight dispassionately but you can't fight an an enemy like the empire dispassionately you have to buy into the ideal of it and recognize that you know this is what it's going to take you're going to have to lose your temper and you're going to have to get your hands dirty and i think um like one of the the overarching messages of star wars is hope right it's all about hope yes this is the opposite of that like no one in this show is just Hoping the empire goes away. <laughs> well, there's that, yeah, and I think that. Yeah, but in and Luthien's like you know whole perspective on this thing too. That it's like I mean he's abandoned he's abandoned all hope for himself, right? That is there's this whole thing like you know I'm not gonna be able to see what comes after this. You have to you have to give it all up. You have to be you know I mean for you know in his mind he is being incredibly selfless right because he knows that he has to give up love he has to give up relationships he has to give up everything in order to be able to to carry out this mission that he has you know got himself involved in but 
he so I if there is hope is not for it's not a personal hope, right? It's hope that for yeah. someone else in the future that they might have something better. But all hope for like it's abandon all hope for yourself. And I think that's a it's a small like, you know, there's a nuance in there that I don't think was as clearly laid out in previous iterations of Star Wars stories, at least to me, as, you know, yeah. as much as it, as it, it was very clearly here laid out. And you, I don't think you ever really thought about it before. I mean, when A New Hope in, in there, like, you, they blow up the, the Death Star and then they have a parade at the end, you know, a celebration. And that's not even the end of the whole thing, right? Like, there's still more stuff happening. But in here, it's like, there's no winning. There, like, you can't really win for yourself. And I think it's a very no. different take on the idea of hope than we've ever seen before. Luthan has spent all of his hope on other people and has kept none for himself. Yeah. Um, and I love the way that, you know, he's he's still... He's in that game, but he's, he's still playing people, you know. He's he's having yeah. to do awful things. Like the way he plays Saw and the way he sends um, Anton Krieger off to, you know, be killed and captured and... You know, he's he's doing, he's putting in the dirty work. Yeah. Yes. And Are... he sees the reality of that dirty work in a way that Mon Mothma definitely doesn't. I don't know what Mon Mothma, it's, her arc is fantastic. But that kind of, the conversation they have, which is basically him going, what did you think we were doing yeah. all this time? You know, what did you, what was it that you thought you had gotten into? Did you think it was about money and you were going to spend money and that was going to somehow make things better and we weren't going to have to kill a bunch of people yeah. to do something I loved his line um, has anybody ever built a weapon that they haven't used Yeah. which to be honest is also a comment on the Death Star mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and I can well imagine them trying to tie something like you know Mon Mothma reflecting on that at some point in the future um, that you know the Death Star is not built as a threat the Death Star is built as a tool to be used um, and Luthan has built a rebellion and he intends to use it and uh one one thing I really like is that those sort of parallels they featured in Legends as well. So I know me and Jose were talking before the show because he's literally just finished the th- original Thrawn trilogy. He's a very slow. Oh, congratulations! Um, <laughs> but you've got that divide between between um, Garm Bell Garm Bell Ibis. I can never say that name properly. And Mon yeah. Mothma, and it's about the course the rebellion should take. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think that's expanded in one of the West End Games book. They kind of flesh that out there's a little vignette that shows that separation of ideological approaches um because he thought mon mothma was basically setting herself up to be the next palpatine by default because of the way she was building a rebellion versus what he would want to do um and i think you see that divide between mon mothma and luthan as well yes that really made, reminded me of those Thrawn Legends books with the, the disparate elements of the Rebel Alliance pre what with them they called the Carillion Treaty. Yeah. In, um, you in, know, because in that was... That, um, you know, they, they existed, but they had not been allied yet. Yeah. Um, that, so the Carillion Treaty was, you know, Bail Organa, Mon Mothma, and Garmbel mm-hmm. uh, Ibis. Why can I not <laughs> say that name? Yeah. Um, and you actually see that being written in the Force Unleashed games, although that does kind of undo yeah. a lot of other stuff and it's best not to think too hard about it <laughs> yeah but that's kind of where a lot that doesn't make sense if you look at the force unleashed games yes yeah <laughs> it's a game well, let's not forget but let's not forget the second one ended up with vader as a prisoner of the rebellion yeah so, that, you know. that's, that's a big part of it <laughs> um so 
you know, do we think that in the context of this show, the equivalent of the Corellian Treaty is something that's already been written? Or is that hmm, to come? I don't think so. I think it's to come. Yeah. I think things are still a little too volatile between the different, like, rebels. I think that even though there... I think there's an... A, to me, it felt like even though there is there is some sort of acknowledgement of all the rebels and they know they're all there and that sometimes they kind of have to work together, but they're still... To me, they're not really unified yet. Like, they just sort of, like... They're using Luthen as, like, this center... Like, this person in the middle of this Venn diagram, but they're they're not really working together with you know doing anything right yeah i think maybe maybe it just takes like yeah i think that maybe that is what um rogue one essentially becomes like that's that is when like everything galvanizes because once you get the death star plans then you're able to be like okay yeah this was working together this is what this is what we can do this is what we can accomplish but up until then it's going to be really messy Well, we do get that thing in the opening crawl of A New Hope, saying the Rebels have just had their first victory against the Empire. So even then, you know, season two of Andor, there shouldn't be too many big victories. No, No. and and if you think, because, you know, Saw Gerrera's in it, presumably his excommunication from the Rebel movement is still to come. Um, Doesn't appear to be a lot of interaction between him and Mon Mothma on any level. It's all because it's through Luthen. So, you know, if we were to hypothesise a, you know, a moment in maybe in the second season when, you know, Luth, something presumably unpleasant is going to happen to Luthan and, it, you know, the, the nascent network is bequeathed to Mong Mothma. Yeah. Um, at some point you're going to end up with these, you know, still kind of tensions about how is the best way to actually fight this war. Yeah, actually, I, I want to, that reminds me of something that I did want to, like, touch on. It's like, and this is just thinking about more, like, in terms of television and telling a story that in some stories a lot of people always complain about you know what are the stakes in the story and if they know that oh this person is always gonna like you know be alive they're never gonna die this and that but in this story and this is when you have a really really good writing and you when you like like they did in andor that they're able to have enough tension to grab you episode after episode when you sort of already know what's gonna happen we know that you know when when Cassian was imprisoned, we know he gets out, but still yeah. those three episodes are thrilling. And when he when they're escaping and going up the ladder, and it's like we know he survives this thing, but it's still the way they build it up and you know everything about it was just so meticulously like well done that you're still like you're you're still at the edge of your seat even though you know he's gonna be okay. And yeah. you also know that all these characters are also going to die eventually, too. <laughs> so you know when they're going to die. You know Luth is probably not going to survive this series. But, like, so there's all these things that are just sort of like, we know where this is going, and yet I'm at the edge of my seat trying to figure out what's gonna, how they're going to get there. And I think that that's yeah. a credit to the writers of this show because I don't think that's an easy task. And you hear it show after show, people are like, well, why, why should I care? if that character's going to die? Or why should I care if, like, they are always going to survive? So, in other words, episode five, where the entire cast sit around waiting for the next thing to happen, mm-hmm. and it's still an hour of gripping TV. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So then it comes, becomes, you know, okay, we know that Andor, as you say, is going to survive, but who's he going to bring along with him for the next 15 mm-hmm. minutes? 
Yeah. You know, who of these people that he's met is going to survive, and who's he going to lose before we get to the next episode? Yeah. Um, you know, all of those guys in those prison. I don't reckon. It, you know, it'd be pretty yeah. weird if all of them walked out fine. So quite a lot of them are going to aren't going to make it. So who has he had conversations with? Who do we reckon at the end of this I... episode is going to, you know, sink or swim for want of a better yeah. phrase? Yeah. I I was not expecting Andy Circus to like at the end of that whole thing. Like, it, I mean, it broke my heart. He's like, I can't swim, or I don't know how to swim. Yeah. That was just like, oh my god, dude! Like, but it's just it was like, the moment he paused on the docking thing, overlooking it, and I was like, oh god, I've suddenly yeah. like a flashing realization of what the next five seconds is going to be about. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. also, he must have known that. He know he 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 knew that any escape would result in needing to swim. Yeah. So he knew yeah. he wasn't going to be able to follow through. You know, yeah. was that why he was trying to, you know, play down any escape efforts, or was that one of his fears? I, I mean, well, what do you think, Chris? I mean, I have my own. I, I mean, yeah. It would be. It would seem odd if he'd forgotten that he was on like a floating prison <laughs> yeah. in the middle of the yeah. in the middle of the ocean. Um, you know, there's a question of how far are they going to get. Um, but I think it then becomes yeah. a. I, there's an element that likes the idea that he he knew this was how it was going to end up. He was going to end up, you know, yeah. poised over the jump and he can't swim. But yeah. it doesn't matter because it's not about him. It's about the right. wave of people that he is pushing off the edge, and some of them right. can swim. And some of them will will right. swim and reach the land, and it's about it's the ripples of rebellion, for want of yeah. Yeah, for, for, for to, to to coin a phrase, that is is going to make the difference. It doesn't matter if he can swim or if he makes the land, because right. enough of them probably will. Yeah. Plus, I mean, the name of the episode is the you know one way out. I think it was. So obviously, yeah. uh, I mean, yeah. and, and I think like if you watch the episode, there's that can apply to a number of things in there, not just a literal one way out of this prison. But I think that, uh, and the, with what you were just saying now, Chris, it also, I mean, taking this whole thing back to the idea that um, you have to abandon all hope for yourself. I mean, that is exactly what Andy Serkis' uh, character was also doing right there, right? Where it's like, yeah, it's not about me. It's about the, this ripple effect that this is going to create. And it's like setting, yeah. doing whatever you can to allow for the mass rebellion to succeed or to be able to take that next step. So you kind of like forget about your own, like you know your whatever you cannot do for yourself. And I think that I I think he was genuine. It's like oh I I can't swim. Like he wasn't thinking about that. He was thinking about everything else and what it needed to happen. And then he's yeah. like oh crap. Like I I don't know how to swim. Like I didn't even think but about this part. But I might have got shot five times before I reach this point. So it doesn't matter yeah. if I can swim or not. If, if, the, <laughs> exactly. if the empire shoots me before I get there. Exactly. So I think the um. I think the prison arc was also the the arc with the most political commentary about our world in it, you know, because, yes, we've got rebellion against the fascist regime, and that's not a new theme in Star Wars, but I think the prison arc was exploring themes that we necessarily haven't seen explored in Star Wars before. So yeah. th there must have been some real thoughts for you in that arc, Chris. Yeah, I mean, again, it kind of slightly surprised me to say, oh, Star Wars is going to do a, a commentary on the American prison industrial system, is it? <laughs> yeah. Sign me up, this is going to be great. Um, and yeah, the, you know, the idea that kind of it is effective slave labour, it is mm -hmm. kind of incarcerated slave labour, 
Um, I liked the fact that right up until obviously the end of the season, you have no idea what it is that they're building. They could be building nothing. Yeah. You know, it could just yeah. be random stuff, and you know, the guys in the next room are the ones taking it to pieces again. Um, yeah. It's just something dangled over them as work to focus on to stop them focusing on something else. Um, and you end up with like um, various tier systems. So obviously, with Andy Serkis's his character as you know in charge of that workforce. Yeah. And you know there are any number of historical examples of people in concentration camps or prison labour camps mm-hmm. where, you know, the prisoners are elevated to m- guard over themselves mm-hmm. and you end up with that weird hierarchy where actually the guards don't have to get involved because the prisoners are going to do it yeah. themselves. Um, and I thought that was... I thought it was great because, you know, it makes perfect sense. Andy Serkis wants to run a tight ship. Yeah. He's, what, 400 days away from getting yeah. out, supposedly? How long has he been in there for? He doesn't want another 10-year shift. So for the love of God, would you shut up and just do your stupid job on your table with the weird yeah. triangle things that you're making? Um, and the whole thing just becomes self-perpetuating and self-sustaining. And, you know, Andor arrives and is like, what, what the hell's going on? This seems like nonsense. I'm not building stupid stuff <laughs> at the Empire. And within, like, 15 minutes, he's hard at work with a big spanner and, yeah, yeah, and stuff. And, yeah. you know, he wants to get the, the food with flavour and that in it. And in the the, what you win is food with flavour in it is yeah. just so deeply depressing but would obviously mean a huge amount to people who are trapped in there yeah. for the rest of their lives yeah. um, that you know the Empire's going to make you swallow this stuff whether you want to or not so it might as well be tasty yeah well the the gamification of your imprisonment is something that is like really interesting that, that when watching this um, I couldn't help but think of uh, Squid Game, so because it's also that that same idea where it's sort of like <laughs> yeah. you have to play the game in order to get something a little bit better. Um, so th- I saw some parallels to that, and then also while watching that whole like part of the series, um, it did take me back to THX 1138 because I mean not only visually it was very similar mm. to George Lucas's yeah. like first movie, but also the idea that what they're building is the thing that puts them down because in in there they're building the prison guards right, and in here I mean I'm like they have to be those pieces have to be for the Death Star they have to be they, it, or something like that either that or tie fighters but that what they're building has to yeah. be something that is going to be used against them so they're gaming the the empire is gamifying the you know something that will is used to then put them down and kill them so it's like a really interesting way to um to set that up i guess but <laughs> that's yeah. what i was, running through I my thought head it when was, I was the... watching that <laughs> I thought it was a little start in the middle of TIE Fighter solar panels mm-hmm, on the wings mm-hmm. that they were making. Was I, I looked was it up. To, to begin with. Yeah. No, I, I... <laughs> the, the TIE Fighter pylons are actually the things that are dropping in the warehouse where Luther and Andor first meet. So they were yeah. building ah. TIE Fighters on Ferrix at some point. Yeah. Fantastic. No, Why wouldn't you? But that's like, I mean, it's that, um, you know, and, and, and to the Ferrix too, like that, I mean... That what um what Luthen said too there right is that in order to get the, the rebellion to rebel or people to rebel, I mean he's doing his own you know his own side of whatever the empire is doing right because he's like no they need to suffer, we need to push yeah. everyone to that to the edge so then they, then they can realize how bad things are with the empire but they didn't seem to be horrible there at the beginning it was just Cassian who was not great really with his friends and taking advantage of his people Uh, but they had their own culture and they were doing their things and who knows if they had just followed suit would would they have gotten to this point like we don't really know but Luthen is the one that causes all the 
stuff that happens in that like in that town <laughs> yeah I liked that symbiotic thing yeah. where it's basically saying, you know, the rebels need the empire. Luther needs yeah. the empire to be doing these things, or else he can't. He can't make anyone do yeah. anything. Um, he needs them to to push back against, or to have to give them something to push back against. Yeah, so that I was mean... one of the scariest things for me. Is that you know, Lu- from Luther's point of view, the rebellion need the empire to be worse, to go full empire. Yes. It's like. Yeah, they're bad. Be but, as empire you know, as you possibly yeah. can be. And until we really piss them off, and they really clamp down, you know, then we can't really get what we want. Which is yeah, we're gonna they're gonna outlast us. Now I have a theory about Luthen, mm-hmm. and I know this theory is, is a... not shared by people. <laughs> I've <laughs> I've thrown it out there before, and people have said no, that's stupid. <laughs> I would love it if he was a Jedi. Now we know that well, his, Andor his doesn't need stick Jedi. Handle. Um, you know, and the whole point of what makes it so good is that there's Brant Jedi and it's a different side of it. But imagine having to imagine being a Jedi with those thoughts that he has and the things that he's doing. How much that would crush your soul mm-hmm. knowing that you've thrown away everything you've ever believed in and every tenet of the code that you followed, but still having to go through with it. Yeah, I think that'd I be a great twist. I can definitely see him as being a Jedi. I mean, because you know, his you know the handle on his walking stick looks very lightsaber esque. The Kyber crystal mm-hmm. is obviously another mm-hmm. thing. When he's doing his speech about you know what is it I've sacrificed, and he's talking about you know I've had to betray this vow that I made so long ago. It's like, well, who is that vow to? Was it to the Jedi Order that you're supposed to be good and do all these things? You know, the, the yeah. suggestion is yeah. that it's to like other rebel leaders, but I'm not convinced. Um, the thing that makes me question it is again it, it's totally fine but you know it's it's a ballsy thing to be a jedi on the run hiding in plain sight on coruscant um you know that maybe that is one of the few places where the, where the empire would expect you to to be but that's a risk um that that seems interesting so i wonder whether or not he, maybe he's a jedi who left the jedi order before the events of the uh, revenge of the sith i've also got um, a flip side to that same theory is that maybe he's a dark Jedi or a Sith, and he's working with Maul to bring the Empire down for his own reasons. Hmm. And he doesn't actually believe in a rebellion at all. I know, yeah. I, I never thought of either 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 one of those ideas, uh, Trev. <laughs> the one that I, I haven't... I mean, it's, in, it's interesting, but something that I thought would be what I was thinking about when watching it was actually... Um, I mean... I don't. I think the show is good enough without having to introduce the force really into it, and I kind of hope that they don't. But you can't. I. You know, it's it's hard not to wonder if any one of these characters is force sensitive at the very least. Mm. And the one that I thought would be yeah. interesting um, for the show to be force sensitive was uh, Deidre. Like just having someone within the Empire kind of then like struggle through that, and um, I don't know. I mean, sort of a. Because, I mean, she's really good, and she's obviously trying, you know, she's already done, she's done a lot for herself to rise up to her rank. However, I feel like it would also diminish her prowess and, like, her how good she is um, as, like, as a woman within the Empire to rise up to that level. If then they say, well, yeah, of course she did it because she was Force-sensitive. So I don't think that they should do it, but so, but because she is the one character from that side that we're for some reason rooting for 
Because <laughs> like, wait, yeah, no, I want you to succeed. No, wait, hold on. If you succeed, then you kill Cassian or something. It's yeah. like, I know, so yeah. don't do it. But damn it, I really want you to do well in your job. Like, and that's the kind of like, I mean, this is this is the this is the gray area that this show forces us to like live in, right? Because like, Luthen is a is really d- does horrible stuff. She's just trying to do her job and she does it well. And it's sort of like, yeah, yeah. go. But it's like, no, but you're for the you're you're part of the empire. You we don't want you to win. So yeah, but uh, but yeah, that but we all her. Fortunate. I thought it would be interesting if she had if she had some sort of force sensibility. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're fortunate in those. I, in regards to the force sensitive, it, I've always been kind of fallen down on the side of being kind of like less is more because I know a lot of Star Wars fans are like, oh, this is great. Wouldn't it also be great if Darth Vader arrived? Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. Would it be though? Wouldn't it just yeah. overshadow everything that's happened? I don't. I don't think adding Darth Vader or the Inquisitors to this show makes it better. Um, no. And I think if you start introducing Jedi, it's kind of the natural end point of, of those, of those things. Um, but I think you're right in regards to like, it's they're, they're producing characters within, you know, like people like Daedra who are like, Ooh, I, I know I should hate you, but I kind of want you to succeed at middle management simulator. Um, and kind of move on to, uh, you know, the, the next rung of the ladder. But then I also end up thinking, Oh, thank God that they've also given us a villain that we can resoundingly get behind and hate and despise <laughs> and the fact that they yeah. made Mon Mothma marry him uh, um, just upsets me because she deserves an awful lot better than that stupid head cut idiot um, who's ruining her life <laughs> and deserves terrible <laughs> things to happen to him <laughs> hates parents so much I, I don't get all the parent hate uh, most of our team are on you know team hate parent you know, it's an arranged <sighs> marriage. He knew what he was getting into. He's just living his best life as well as he can. You know, just trying to make, find some happiness for himself. I mean, he they all is, seem pretty happy mind, being is, able to live that cushy life. Yeah, to my mind, he's himself a, a perfect political commentary because he is the guy who goes, "Oh God, why does everything have to be so political with you? Can't we just yeah. have some fun? What does it matter what's going on in the real world? I just want to have a beer or a nice dinner. And by the way, I've invited the emperor's friends to dinner. I can't imagine yeah. a worse dinner table to be sat around with. Oh no, the, the people that Palpatine goes to the opera with—they're here in your house. Isn't that fun? It's like no. I'm going to have to sandblast every single surface <laughs> that they've touched because. <laughs> yeah, it was it was hard to tell from that from that scene whether because it was still early in the show, you know, whether he was aware of what Mom was doing, whether he was part of it or not, whether he was arranging dinner as a cover or whether it was for his own ambitions. I don't think it was ever clear. He was just like, yeah, why not? This this letter came, yeah. so I've invited him around. Well, what about like their their daughter? Like she she obviously has no idea that Mon Mothma is doing what she's doing, right? But do you think like she would be proud to know that her, her mom is not just some sort of socialite and that she's actually ha- like you know congresswoman and that she's actually doing something interesting <laughs> with her life? Or you know, at the end when she was like towards the end, right? She has like that whatever religious. Uh, group like thing yeah. um, is she too much within like part of that ingrained like that world is it too ingrained in her in her lifestyle to want for her mom to be part of this rebellion thing 
I thought there was loads of interesting things about Mon Mothma's daughter. P- part of it was like kind of watching it because he was about 14 years old, something mm-hmm. like that, I think. So he was about yeah. that age of, you know, embodying that element of, God, my parents are lame. Yeah. You know, my dad's the fun one and my mum's the one who works all the time. And he doesn't spend any time with me. So everything she does is basically for her own PR thing. And yeah. you could see how much that idea that Mon Mothma was doing this cynically hurt Mon Mothma. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, she couldn't, she couldn't speak a little bit anymore about it. But what I found really interesting about Mon Mothma's daughter is there's a, there's a reading of her which is very British Empire. The idea that um, like these cultural things don't actually exist in the place that they're from. They are mm-hmm. reproduced in other faraway places um, where it's almost like imperial cosplay where, um, you know, people in the British colonies would do things that were ostentatiously incredibly British, but mm-hmm. never happen in Britain. Um, yeah. But because you're in India or because you're in the West Indies or something like that, this is what you do to be more British than you could possibly imagine being British. And she's doing that. She's being more Chandrilla than people on Chandrilla are um, because mm-hmm. of the distance. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a re- really interesting take. And now, now you say it, I can absolutely see that. Um, and throwing herself, you know, the daughter Lida throwing herself into these things as well, the, you know, the ceremonies and, like, she's almost happy by the looks of it to, to have that arranged marriage meet up at the end yeah. of the show. Yeah, do you think, uh, <laughs> like, Vel, like, how do you think Vel, like, what, what, what's her read of this whole arranged marriage thing then like what are your thoughts on oh, that? i think she's gonna oh she's not on board because <laughs> <laughs> the daughter i mean she seems to really respect her is her is it her aunt right um yeah so yeah. she really i think she really likes her and really looks up to her and val is the one that's actually you know i mean i don't she's out there actually fighting the fight so she's not one to follow any of these traditions but for some reason then uh mon Mothma's daughter is so that i don't know like you sometimes like you might you would rebel against your parents but i feel like yeah. sometimes you do have like your cool aunt or cool uncle that then you sort of want to be like and the reality here is that both vel and mon mothma they're both sort of like they're both fighting the fight but then the daughter just is then following the traditional uh you know thing so i don't know it's just like i'd, I'd be curious to see how she would react if she found out what her aunt is actually up to when she's not around. Yeah, it's a shame that her aunt wasn't like, I know that you think your mum's lame and that, you know, you, this stuff that you, you're, you're doing, you want to do. But also, this is real dumb. Don't do this. It's a terrible idea. Definitely, 100%, if you're going to do this, don't marry the son of a mobster. That sounds like a terrible <laughs> idea. There are, there are plenty of actually nice Chandrillins. We'll find you one of those. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, Mom Mothma needs money. Um, another thing I want to throw at you, Chris, because I qu- think there's quite a heavy theme or commentary about sort of big business, the role of big business within government throughout the yeah. show as well. You've got the corporate zone. You've got um, Cyril's new job. Um, did you have any of those thoughts while watching the show? Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a definite kind of East India Company element to um, things that are going on where, you know, all of these various corporate entities take on the labour of running these various planets to prevent the Empire from having to do so. But in doing so, they do exactly what the Empire would have wanted them to do anyway. Um, It's a very kind of interesting dynamic between it. um, So I've got some friends who work in in the civil service over here. They thought Cyril working 
on Coruscant was hilarious and terrifyingly realistic um, <laughs> of being in paper pushing simulator um, 14 years ABY um, or, or similar um, where it's just the administration and the boring paperwork and the fact, you know, here's your cube and you sit next to this guy in his cube and he sits next to this person in their cube and you all get the same cube. And, oh, it was the... People talk a lot about the kind of the, the mundanity of evil or the banality of evil, mm-hmm. to kind of coin yeah. a term about the, the, the Nazis and, and the Holocaust. Um, I thought we got the middle management of evil, that kind of paper-pushing administration. I've CC'd you into this email. Don't make me talk to HR. Now we need to talk to payroll. If you filled out Form A21B, oh, no, you see, you needed to fill out Form <laughs> A21C. Um, that kind of crushingly boring but all-encompassing bureaucracy of dictatorship of totalitarianism i thought was oh it was beautiful um yeah genuinely (laughs) several of my friends were like i would we can ditch andor at this point i just want to watch cyril at work um Um, you know as he takes minutes of a meeting or you know he's got to fill in his progress review or something like that yeah I've seen in a lot of places this comparison of Cyril to Luke Skywalker that it's sort of like, oh, really? this, yeah, <laughs> it's like he is the Luke Skywalker in a way of this series. And, you know, just coming from like a more like humble beginnings than 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 the rest, because, you know, and even the amount of time that we spend in his house and, you know, even just like the the look of, you know, like his mom giving him food, like there's all the, there's actually a number of parallels there to to Luke when he was still in um on Tatooine um did you see anything like that Chris I, I mean I see you nodding your head whereas Trev was like are you insane I did so not, I'm yeah. like <laughs> I, did I can definitely I can definitely see elements of, I mean but the, it's interesting because we've expanded the universe and legends the comparison was always between um Luke Skywalker and Baron Suntir Fell you know both farm boys one went to the empire one went to yeah. the rebellion they were both kind of heroic fighter pilots and the like so I can see aspects of that with with Cyril, the, the the character I was comparing Cyril to was Agent Callus in Rebels. Mm-hmm. That's it, as yes. these two yeah. guys, um, you know, who have bought into the Empire or the ideas, but are also, you know, at varying points, seemingly having elements of buyer's remorse. Um, you know, not mm-hmm. entirely. You know, I don't think when Cyril was like, "We should go and we should go and do this thing on Ferex," he was anticipating that the rest of his life was going to be in a four by four cube on um yeah. course yeah. he's not allowed to put any pictures up um but who has no problem with the empire um you know whether or not he yeah. is you know petty fascist or like i am you know i'm gonna get i love palpatine tattooed on my arm um level of imperial buy-in <laughs> but he sees it as a as a thing for the future you know something that is going to help elevate him and you know dictatorships need people like that who will buy in at varying levels um i found the end of his arc quite interesting i was actually quite convinced he was going to kill daedra i thought they were going to take him down the Mm -hmm. incel stalker route that they've been setting up that he was going to you know she was going to reject him and he was going to kill her or something along those lines because it was the scenes where he was stalking her on coruscant having like a conversation outside you know imperial security bureau building were real creepy like really uncomfortable yeah, creepy. They, 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 they were not comfortable. Like, they were Gee, creepy. thanks, Cyril. You massive weirdo yeah. <laughs> who followed me to work. 
Yeah. No, I mean, I imagine that he, if he had like a, a locker at work, like he would have pictures of Deidre in his locker, like when he opens it and he's just like, oh, yes, she's like the perfect imperial officer. <laughs> like he just has this yeah, like got... crush on this woman. This is like, yeah, he's, he's, yeah, he's a got... bit of a creep. <laughs> he's got uh, pictures of her in his locker and he's got books from whoever the space equivalent of Jordan Peterson is. And he's really getting all involved um, <laughs> in a whole kind of little movement of that yeah yeah uh no i mean yeah <laughs> trev what what do you think about cyril um yeah i mean i don't think he was anything like luke skywalker in any way, <laughs> well i don't look you had your you look no. is your favorite character so <laughs> no but there's definitely some it. parallels there i think in the way but it, set up. it is also it, like like chris was saying that's that's the sort of citizen that the empire needs but i did love that arc of having to, you know, cocking up, having to go live with his mum, his mum bailing him out, yeah. getting him a job. You know, it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of people whose lives have gone wrong and they've had to move back to parents in their twenties or thirties, you know, through divorce or whatever who would have related to that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um God, but, you know, I lost my job, I've had to go oops. home, my mum's had to get me a job with the Nazis. Yeah. It's God, I can't believe it. And she still talks to me like I'm twelve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Get get your blue noodles. Like whatever. <laughs> but there was only there was only a handful of writers on the show. I think, you know, Tony Gilroy wrote most of it and then he had a writer's room of like two or three other people who helped, you know, do the final mm-hmm. scripts and everything. And yes, it is a very political show. It does have a lot of real important themes and messages running through it. Chris, what do you think the overarching message of the show is? See, now I'm just thinking about how I would have described it in the book. Um, <laughs> I think it's a show about... I think it's a show about necessity. Um, that mm-hmm. um, resignation is a decision. Doing nothing is a is a decision. And necessity mm-hmm. can be something that you decide, you know, this is necessary, or it can be something that is forced upon you. Um but that when faced with an institution like the Empire, rebellion is a necessity. You can't sit it out because eventually the Empire will encroach on the chair far enough that you don't have anything to sit on anymore. Um, so yeah. I, th- I think that's what you end up seeing that, um, you know, Cassian himself isn't particularly focused on smashing up the Empire you know, he's searching for his sister, and then he's doing a job to get some cash, and then he goes to, ironically, to Blackpool, which is where yes, they filmed yeah. the, 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 the space, uh, space resort beach. from, which is hilarious for those of us who who are aware of Blackpool. Um, you know, he's, he isn't fighting the Empire. No. Cassian isn't doing it. You know, he's, the story is bringing him into conflict with the Empire, at which point it becomes a necessity for him. To fight against it, but he isn't an ideologue. The ideologues are Marva. It's um, Nemec. oh, the kid who writes the political yeah, Nemec. Nemec, who writes the political thesis. God, I want to read that. Um, <laughs> it's it's about it's about that. It's that um, rebellion is going to happen whether you want it to or not yeah. because it is a necessity. So you might you know get on board now, wake up early, yeah. and for am I allowed to swear? Am I allowed yeah. to quote Marva yeah. swearing? <laughs> yeah. Get up early and fight the bastards. Yeah. yeah. Um, or they're going to be the ones who wake you up by kicking you in your door at yeah. 4 a.m. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, I think it's a show about the necessity of rebellion and the fact that it has political theory, it has ideolo- ideology in there was beautiful for me because, you know, Trevor, you know from the, my chapter on it, there is very little ideology in the Rebel Alliance in the Expanded mm. Universe, or the Old Legends, or even in the original trilogy. There is no, you know, manifesto for why we think the Empire is bad and what we want to replace yeah. it with. You know, the Empire is something that needs to fall and then what? Question mark. Yeah. Um, do, do we see people who are interacting with political ideas going, you know, it's not enough to endure this or live it out or to, to, to destroy it and leave a vacuum? We have to we have to have these ideas to replace it with. And I thought, oh, God, hook it to my veins. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think definitely, you know, everything you were just saying, you can sort of take that out of a show as well and look at some of the things that are going on in the world at the moment, you know, which is... That yes. Star Wars being sneaky. Well, t- Tony Gilroy was pretty upfront that, you know, I'm writing this about Trump's America. I think it's pretty much word for word the quote, and a lot of people lost their minds about it. But, you know, if you're writing a thing like this, why wouldn't you immediately draw on the most recognisable contemporary example of what it is you want to talk about? Sorry. Ah, did you lose me again? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it, was a, it was a beautifully worded... <laughs> Perfectly crafted, <laughs> almost almost poetic point um, that you'll get from the audience. You're, you're, you're all back now, though. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. I I think what what the way that you just yeah the what you said about the show that was beautifully said. Um, I think that you're absolutely right um, regarding like the necessity and and what that involves and what that and what it takes. Um, I did also i mean i don't i mean we're about to get hit the hour on this and i just want to make sure to to ask one of them a question that i i've been wanting to talk about too right but it's um it's the fact that you know we know the when it comes to the sort of like xenophobia and sort of like kind of like racism within the empire right and and how we know that it's all just made out of humans Except for Thrawn being the one exception, um, yeah. and we haven't even seen him yet on live action, right? So they're they're still holding their cards right uh, tight. But then within the rebellion, of course, like as the series expanded, we got to see more and more um, aliens being part of it. Uh, but in this show, I think that we did have a lack of alien species, especially early on. We I got agree. to see a few more towards the end, but they were always more just sort of maybe at most like tertiary characters like they didn't really do anything for the plot and i don't know if on one hand if that's just i mean if that was the result of of them trying to make this show feel more prestige tv and so that it can so that people just sort of like saw it you know up to the level of like a succession or something from like hbl and and you know because it is written on that level, I think the the like, yeah. you know the dialogue is superb. The way that I mean, Luthen's speech that he gave about like yeah, giving everything up like to me that was just beautifully written, and like one of the best speeches I think in all of Star Wars. What he says there, and um, but yeah, so I I don't know if the lack of aliens is a result of like the writers and the showrunners wanted it to have that feeling of prestige tv or if it's just you know or is it really more of a function of the actual story itself that it doesn't start with this alien species that it does start within the humans because those are the most spread out 
sort of like species within that universe i think i think there's a couple i mean i agree and i think actually a lot of the more recent series have suffered from a lack of aliens Mm -hmm. i want to see aliens in the star wars universe i want them to be kind of you know ongoing important characters now Mm -hmm. i understand yeah as i said in you know uh, i said in the book making alien costumes is expensive humans are free so you know there is probably that level and also you know if you'd have told me in the lead up to andor oh there's a thing with uh, andy circus is in it i'd have assumed it was he's doing mocap and he's doing a voice and stuff so i think your idea about elevating it's like no look andy circus can act as andy circus he's a really good actor this is going to be great you get you get that aspect for it but i also do think there is an element of storytelling in universe thing because i think you can end up with a rationale of going oh you know they they, they spent four episodes in this prison that prison was bleak and they were doing the stuff with the hammers Mm -hmm. and the spanners and they were working day and night and it was awful so where do you reckon they put the aliens Mm -hmm. yeah how much worse is it Mm -hmm. if you are an alien criminal Mm -hmm. in the empire and i think that is a is a justifiable and interesting question i think you there are other ways of, of posing it. Yeah. you know it could have been interesting if we'd have seen the empire rounding up aliens on ferrix yeah. when they arrived to kind of reinforce exactly you know why this is now a human only zone yeah thing but i would i would hope that we start to see more more aliens because um it's an, you know it's a big important part of the galaxy um and i want to I want to see that aspect. Yeah. I want to see what it's what it's like. You know, when I was saying that you, there's an element of of necessity, I don't think a lot of aliens needed to be told that they needed to rebel mm-hmm. against the empire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they were pretty well aware of what was about to happen to them very very early on. Whereas maybe it's 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 a show about you know how much longer it's taking humans yeah. to clock onto the yeah. fact that um, the guys in charge aren't necessarily big fans. Yeah. Um, so you know, there's maybe an element of of that to it, but yeah, I, I want to see I want to see political alien. Yeah, um, I want to see I want to see rebel alien. That sounds great. <laughs> well, well, I, I want to see some Moncal and some Celestans. You know, those those species that yes. we know yeah. were early buy-ins to the rebellion. You know, I, yeah. I want to see how that happens. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, I think that's you know some something that I you know with another show that obviously you know was just recently out with Rings of Power that I thought was really interesting. It's just like how bad do things need to get for all these different species and races to come together and form a fellowship, right? Like, to me, that is what that that Tolkien is trying to establish in his whole series, right? It's just like, things are this bad that then an elf, a dwarf, you know, like a hobbit, all these people came together to destroy the one ring like that's like that's not an that's not an easy task so in star wars what is it that you know now we have all these different rebel factions okay fine they all have their own ideas but they're all still very human based so what is what does it take for then yeah like the celestin like and then von kyle like all of them to come together and be like okay we all do need to work together because what they're doing is really messed up or maybe, yeah, like I, maybe that's what, maybe something like that we get to see in season two, like some of these humans coming face to face with what the Empire is doing to these alien species, right? So it's like, well, I'm pretty sure I know what it's gonna. Oh, I could, I could take a stab at what I think it's going okay. to be. Is that Mon Mothma mentions Gorman? Oh, a lot so of times. thrilled when that came up. You know, the Gorman yeah. massacre. So I, I think spoke we're about that. Headed a towards few the times. Gorman massacre. But don't don't we see the Gorman massacre? in Rebels. But it's a completely no, different Gorma massacre do. to what happened in the expanded universe. 
Well, because in the expanded universe, it was Tarkin landing a ship yeah. on a bunch of people. Yeah, um, literally a protest that he just lands a ship and kills four hundred people. Yeah. yeah, I don't remember the, uh, seeing the Gorman massacre in Rebels, but my memory is of it has kind of blurred into one. I know we get to see Mon Mothma's call to rebellion, and that kind of drags a lot of people together. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel like roads are leading to Gorman. I, I also to, to bring up a, an earlier point. I just, I would be, I wouldn't be shocked if we saw Thrawn in season two mm. of Andor. You know, Luthen is running an art gallery. Um, and Ooh. museum memorabilia collection on Coruscant. <laughs> if anyone's going to root out what he's actually doing, it's going to be the guy with glowing eyes. I did oh, wow. think of that connection, of but did, I mean, because I mean, we're assuming he's going to show up in the Ahsoka series, and presumably that will be out right before Ander season two. Uh, Maybe. I think so. Ander yeah. season two is twenty twenty four at some point. I mean, but I know that they're taking a much more House of Dragons approach yeah. to season two. So it, you know, each arc is a year gap. Yeah. So I think we're just yeah. we're going to see big events. You know, we're not we're not going to waste three hours or yeah, three hours, three episodes on. Ah, oh, this was just another rebel operation. It'll be this was yeah. the thing that led to that. Yeah. So we're going to yeah. see some. It's going to be stuff with gravitas yeah. and, and yeah. importance. I mean, perhaps. I mean, maybe so. Um, something with the Bothans may also come up. Right? Yes. Because that you know, we've, we've never seen a Bothan in no, we've never seen still. a Bothan, so I'm excited. But I wonder whether or not Lucasfilm is attached to that in joke that we've never seen a Bothan. <laughs> and they're just going to avoid doing it perpetually because it's funny. I mean, <laughs> th- it, that is funny, but I mean, like, it's there for a reason. And if you know, talking about trying to see what what can be a catalyst that doesn't start to bring in more aliens into the rebellion, and and like you were saying with with Mon Mothma, maybe time being the one that leads that effort perhaps i think that the cheat is the one that brings up the bothan so it yeah. kind of makes sense for... I, I wonder even that's the phrasing of that i wonder if it's going to be the other way around because you know justifiably you're saying you know what's you know what's going to be the event that brings more aliens into the rebellion mm-hmm. i think it's the other way around what's going to be the event that brings more humans into the mm. rebellion mm-hmm. um you know it's you know I, I imagine that you know we see it from solo aliens are already resisting right yeah um the empire true, and, true. and fighting them. So, what's going to be the thing that motivates the you know what appears to be the majority species in the mm-hmm. galaxy to go? Actually, this this might not be the one. Yeah, yeah. Going back to the bossing joke, wouldn't it be great if they just had like a vaguely horse-looking furry alien that might yeah. be a bothan, but then just well, never like named it. from Rogue Squadron. Never named it, so it didn't turn up yeah. in the visual dictionary. And the joke is, was that a bothan? But they, mm-hmm. they just never clarified it. No, they... bothan or horse. <laughs> No, they should. They need to. I. I mean, I'd like to see one. I don't know. It'd be fun. Yeah. <laughs> like bring, it's like, bring I in mean, a canon version of Borsk Failer. I. I just keep. Oh, that guy. <laughs> I keep complaining about just the fact that like you know Star Wars just keeps inventing new creatures, and I'm like, just you have so many already in your arsenal. Like like build them up to the level that you yeah. built everything else up instead of just introducing more and more species because. Yeah, we we've been hearing about Bothans for decades, and we don't, we've never seen one. So why do I need to now have a new species to talk about that one? <laughs> yeah. So... Or Lucasfilm should come out and go, no, I don't know what you're all talking about. There's been a Bothan in every show that we've done. <laughs> <laughs> Where? Which one? 
<laughs> well, they can just start do you know like in uh, in the comic books where you see sometimes a uh, Leppy in the background just like dead or whatever, but it's like no, yeah. they're, they're they're around. They're just they're never major <laughs> characters. Um, yeah, we'll see a live action Leppy before we see a Bothan. <laughs> I am okay with this. I am very much okay with this. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I, you know, before we, we close, I don't know if like, you, is there anything else? I have my last question that I want to ask. So I don't know, you know, we're, we're over an hour here now and I want to be respectful of your time, Chris. So, um, no, I think, I think I've, we've covered pretty much everything that I was hoping we would okay. talk about. Well, Trev, what about you? Anything else before my, my last and final question that I will ask to both of you? Uh, no, I want to hear this question. Okay, well, I mean, it's pretty simple. I mean, I started with, like, did it, you know, what did you expect and, it, and did it meet your expectations? So now that we are going to season two, I mean, we're already kind of talking about it, so let's make it a little bit more official. But what would be the, the one thing that you want to see happen in season two of Andor? Chris. Oh, God, why did you ask me first? All right, Trev, I've been mean, asking you first um, all the okay. time. Okay. So, Trev, why don't you go um, first? I want to see Mon Mothma standing in the Senate to publicly call for rebellion and then having to, you know, vanish. That's what I, I want to see, a very public vocal call against Palpatine from her position, mm-hmm. you know, saying this ends now kind of thing. The, the rebellion is coming for you. That's what I want to see. All right, good answer, Chris. Um, I mean, sim- I I would love to, I would both love for this to happen and also be incredibly keen for it not to happen. Yeah. It's one of those <laughs> less is more things. I'd like to see Palpatine and Mon Mothma have a conversation. I, I was really expecting a Palpatine cameo, something in well, here. I, I was wondering, but equally, I was so pleased that he wasn't. Like the, you know, yeah. Even Mon Mothma's giving speeches to an empty Senate yes. because it's a completely irrelevant yeah. body. Yes. Um, that level of disdain, I really, really liked. But I would like that form of interaction between the Emperor and Mon Mothma. No, whether or not, because obviously it's going to end just before Rogue One. So, you know, I would imagine we're going to see things like Delek Krennel mm-hmm. in it. Uh, um, uh, or Orson Krennic. Or, or, I'm getting lots of Imperial names. Here. <laughs> Director Krennic yeah. um, is going to, I imagine, will appear at some point. We're going to be too early for the dissolution of the Senate. I'd really like to see that um, as like a tacked on to the end bit. Um, but yeah, I'd like, I, yes, I like the idea of, you know, a call for action in the Senate or something like that, or some interaction between the Emperor and Mom. That would be Mark. cool. I mean, I would, I, I would imagine, great. do you think it would be in person or were you just through like a hollow kind of like, because he's... Maybe through a hollow. Yeah. But then we saw in the Bad Batch, the new Bad Batch trailer, a bit with Palpatine in the Senate. Mm-hmm. So so clearly he must go down there at some point, aside from, you know, doing whatever the hell it is that he does for <laughs> the rest of his time. Um, you know, he's, he rules the galaxy and has no interest in doing it. No. Is, it um, is there a party with his purple hat guys, like, say, Prestige and Ars Dangor and yeah, yeah, those yeah. guys? Um, <laughs> you're having a great time. Um, so, you know, I could see it between being like a hologram yeah. thing, but... Yeah, a big a big Senate showdown. That would be would be, would be great. That sends them on Mothma on the run because we know she's on the run by the time yeah. of Rebels. Yeah. So at some point, you know, she has a big thing, but she gets rescued in Rebels when she's already a fugitive. Yeah. So to come to to Trev's idea, you know, let's have the moment where she where the Empire goes. You're you know you're an enemy of the state. I mean, there's got to be a few crossovers with Rebels yeah. in season yeah. two. There has to be. We may that may even be where we see, you know. We see the cast of Rebels. Yeah. Yeah, Hero could well turn up. Do we get yeah. a, a teenage uh, Leia in season two with, with Mon Mothma? 
Because they know I'd each other, see... right? Like, yeah, I'd rather see Bail Organa. I'm hoping mm-hmm. we can yeah. see him in the second season. I really want some 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 Alderanian Bail Organa ness. I thought we were going to see him in, in this season. So I was a little. I mean, I I think it was really well written. So I don't think that it there was there wasn't any reason to shoehorn him in. But yeah. I was still expecting. I'm like, well, I mean, it just makes sense. Like, Jimmy yeah. Smith. The closer is this here. ramps up to war, <laughs> yeah, the more it's going to be weird if he doesn't turn up. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to go a little lighter with what I want to see in season two. I want to <laughs> see K2SL and how he becomes friends with Andor. Um, so yeah. except we've had that story. That story's been told in a Has? comic. Well, I which I we are. See, I, well, I want to fully see it. expecting it to be overwritten. Okay, good. <laughs> I want to see it. And also, I want to see B2 see Andor one more time. I mean, I, I, I like B2. Yeah, that droid. Oh. When I thought that Stormtrooper or that Imperial officer had broken B2, oh. I was going to throw a brick at him. Um, it's like, all of these awful things you've done, but you, sir, have crossed the line. B, I mean, there was something so much more pet-like to B2 than any other droid to me because yeah. he just like had his, his own little bed. I mean, you know, he would just, like, go to his corner and just, like, power down there. And I just, like, can't help but think of, like, my own Doug when he's just done for the day. And he just, like, I see him slowly walk into his little bed and just, like, you know, circles around and he just falls asleep. And I'm like, and... But also, he has no limbs. No, it's literally, like, you know, a cylinder in a box. But yeah. it's the most emotive thing I've ever seen. Uh, him being and he loves Hamdor. <laughs> He's so yep. like oh <laughs> so um so yeah no B two I'm like I'm I'm a little heartbroken that we I feel like we are gonna lose B two at some point if we haven't already. Well, uh, unless that droid ends up in K two. Yeah, but I don't I I don't see it happening. Cause That's if, a weird one. Like then it, wouldn't they have had Alan Tudyk voice B two as well, even if it was a little uh, more like the voice changed a little bit. I don't know. Just throw an ever. No, be this. The like the personalities are very different. Like K two is so is like so cynical. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's so, been a tough yeah, war. That's true. <laughs> it's been a tough. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, one sympathizes. Yeah. Well, anyway, so so yeah, that's my my hope for season two is a little bit of some some more droid time for for B two and and get a real K two because when we saw the the that the other k2 in the series and he had andor up like that against yeah. the wall i i mean that was menacing and that was cool too yeah. but um all right well i mean i think we've done a awesome job here like i mean yeah. this has been a lot of fun but is there anything else trev that we've missed that you want to bring up no i think we've done a pretty good uh analysis of uh andor i do just want to point out because i couldn't shoehorn it into conversation at any yeah. point that uh mon mothma's daughter does come from legends she was invented for the dark empire source book yeah. and then mentioned uh there's a there's a graphic novel called visionaries and there's one where mon mothma's receiving a letter written by her son and it's talking all about the battle of hoth and he's you know it's all flashbacks he's writing you know um she doesn't then get that letter until just before she gives the rebriefing in Return of a Jedi. Mm-hmm. She obviously hadn't seen her son for a year, kind of gets confirmation that he's, he's died. He mentions a sister, but not by name. Um, but the name is comes from the Dark Empire sourcebook, so it was good to see that. Oh, nice. Um, nice. Uh, the story grip strike again. Yeah, but before <laughs> we, uh, before we uh, sign off then, so Chris, do you want to just uh, remind our listeners 
where they can find you, yeah. where they can get your book, and if there's anything you're working on that you want to plug or promote or tell us about. Um, I mean, I, I haven't checked the internet in 10 minutes, so, you know, presumably Twitter's still alive. But, um, <laughs> you can... It's not a given. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, you can still find me there at Chris Kempshaw. Uh, similar for Instagram, you know, kind of bits and pieces of me, of me going on, um, of what I'm getting up to. Um, you can still get my book from you know, various places on, you know, Amazon. Um, there's a, on my Twitter homepage, there's still um, a 25% discount code for anybody who wants to buy the book. Um, through the Routledge website, they do free sh- shipping as well. So you might still be able to, depending on when this goes out, get it in time for Christmas. Um, yeah, it's not a huge amount going on, really, aside from that. Um, yeah, yeah, those are those are places to, to follow me. And if anything ever exciting does happen, that will presumably where i will you know where i'll talk about it but i'm you know i'm not expecting the phone to ring anytime soon <laughs> and do go and get his book if you haven't because the book is fantastic and it's like super interesting and i mean if you thought that today's conversation started you know you know rubbed an itch that you've had about connecting real life or you know with uh and politics with star wars which star wars is politics i mean it's a war <laughs> so how uh, dare you <laughs> so um, keep your thinking you, politics out if, of my star wars well, if you want to <laughs> know more or see more of these uh connections do go and get chris's book because it is phenomenal and it's extremely interesting so um yeah go go to amazon go to his website and go get uh the book um so yeah Trev, our Twitter and your Twitter and sign off stuff. So I am at Davy Todd and we at the show are at SW Archives Pod. So come and give us a follow or a like or any of that. Smash yeah. that subscribe button. Nonsense. Yeah. And then also head on over to utinu.com slash discord if you haven't joined our discord yet. Um, so that you can go to our channel and talk about this episode and every other episode of uh, or yeah, whatever you want. Just go there. <laughs> And uh, yeah, and you can find me on Twitter. I am at the Joxy, T H E J O X I I I. And uh, yeah, thank you, Trev, for setting this interview today. Thank you, Chris, so much for for coming on again. This has been another oh, like extremely me. enjoyable like, hour. <laughs> come back to life or enhance or ruin Star Wars yeah. for everybody for another for another hour. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, thank you guys for continuing to listen to us and making this show possible. So um, with that. Do you want to do the honors as you the intro? Okay. Uh, can I say radio out? There is no hatred. There is joy. There is no division. There is union. There is no apathy. There is passion. There is no gatekeeping. There is community. This is the Utini Star Wars fan code. Embrace it. Live by it. And above all, trust living force. That's all for this week. Join our community and surround yourself with like-minded fans by visiting us online at utini.com. Until next time, may the force be with you. <laughs>